So here we are in lesson 20 of the study of Hebrews, and it has us in the middle of chapter 7. And the writer has been showing us that the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to that of the Levitical priesthood because it's an eternal priesthood for one thing. The high priest of Levi could not offer the perfection that God was after. And the perfection that God was after was to restore man into his presence eternally as it was in the garden. The priesthood of Aaron was part of a covenant that offered no real relationship with God. Or as we're going to see today, it offered no real atonement either. And he's going to continue with why Yeshua as high priest in the order of Melchizedek is superior as we pick up in verse 20. Others became priests without an oath. He became priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Yeshua has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The high priests of the house of Aaron were high priests because of their ancestry. But Yeshua was not. He could have never been a high priest in the order of Aaron because he wasn't descended from Aaron. And anyone from the house of Aaron couldn't be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek because they didn't live forever. Right? That's one of the qualifications. you got to live forever. He was a high priest because of a direct oath on God's part and because of his indestructible life. One of the requirements of this priesthood, again, is to have eternal life. And we've covered much of this, but there's something I want you to note, and that is Yeshua is the guarantor of a better covenant. And I know it says guarantee, but it would be better rendered guarantor. Why is it that Yeshua is a guarantor of a better covenant? Something that he does doesn't mean that Yeshua brought about a better Torah when it says covenant or that the covenant replaced the Torah. The Torah was part of the covenant that was replaced. And we're going to cover this more fully next week. What exactly was the covenant? What's he talking about here? Now there are, it says in verse 23, it says, Now there are many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But Yeshua, because Yeshua lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Well, the first way the covenant is better is that Yeshua, the guarantor, is Yeshua. And the guarantor lives forever. What does that mean by guarantor? Why did he just not say mediator of a better covenant, as he'll call Yeshua later? Well, that's easy. In this case, he doesn't mean mediator. He means more than just a mediator. A mediator has no personal responsibility in the performance of the covenant on either part. A mediator is one like Moses who represents both parties. He goes to God, he listens, then he takes God's words back to the people. And in the same way, he listens to the people and takes their words back to God, their words and wishes back to God. And yes, I know that God already knows their wishes and words, but you get what I'm trying to say, right? 
the writer will later call Yeshua the mediator of a new covenant because Yeshua does that as well. But here he says guarantor because Yeshua does more than just mediate. One who is a guarantor is promising that if one party can't fulfill their part of the agreement, he's going to step in and he's going to take care of that party's obligation. A guarantor is responsible to both parties that each will perform. A modern day example that I thought of, not the greatest example, but a good one is one who co-signs for a loan. For another, he's the guarantor of that loan. If the first party defaults, he'll make good on the loan. Now, we all know God won't fail to perform his part, but what about you and me? You see, Yeshua will if you fail to live up to the covenant that you've made. In other words, if you sin, Yeshua will make good your debt. And not just that, though, he also tells us that Yeshua is able to do this on an eternal basis. He is eternal. And curiously, if we look at the testament of Levi, we can see that they, this was part of an expectation that they had in the first century. One who would come and live forever, and indeed, they more than likely realized that that, that was exactly what was needed to restore man. Now, I want to read this from the Testament of Levi, and I want you to understand that this was written well before Yeshua. It says this in 18 verse 9, verses 9 through 12. It says, In his priesthood sin shall cease, and lawless men shall rest from their evil deeds, and righteous men shall find rest in him. And he shall open the gates of paradise, and shall remove the sword that has threatened since Adam. And he will grant to the saints to eat of the tree of life. The spirit of holiness shall be upon them. And Belial shall be bound by him. And he shall grant to his children the authority to trample on the wicked spirits. Hey, guess what? That sounds a lot like what Yeshua accomplished, right? And it sounds a lot of what, like what the author is trying to get across here. Try to explain to the Hebrews. So Yeshua can offer eternal peace with God. And he's the guarantor. And this is something that the priesthood of Aaron could never offer. And he tells us why. And we can say that simply, they died. The priest of the Torah, the priesthood of the Torah, the Levitical priesthood, they die. Yeshua lives forever. The priesthood of the Levitical priesthood, by virtue of the Torah, cannot offer an atonement that lasts for more than one year. And then each year they have to offer the offerings over again. A new offering for the atonement of themselves because they too were sinners. And they offered an offering for the people because they were sinners. They can't guarantee that they will always be there because they die. So they couldn't offer an eternal atonement because they themselves were not eternal. You cannot offer what you don't possess, right? The priests were themselves sinners and therefore subject to the penalty of that sin. And if we skip down to verse 26, it says this. Such a priest meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
You see, Yeshua, on the other hand, has no sin. He's holy. He's set apart. He's blameless, set apart from sinners. He's his father's son, so to speak, without sin, exalted above the heavens at the right hand of his father. Yeshua, unlike the priests of the house of Aharon, possesses eternal life and can therefore offer eternal life and eternal atonement. And he will forever be your high priest, your mediator of this new covenant. And more than that, he is your guarantor. If you fail, he'll pick up where you fail. That's why the author will start the next sentence, verse 25, We skipped one. He'll start the next sentence this way. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to him, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Yeshua is able to save completely because he's able to offer this eternal intercession, eternal atonement, He can completely save because he's holy, blameless, and pure. He lives forever. He's not subject to the penalties of sin because he had none. It says he always lives to intercede for them. Think about that. He lives to intercede for you. John tells us about Yeshua's intercession in 1 John 2, verse 1. He says, My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Yeshua, the Messiah, the righteous one. You see, if you sin, Yeshua comes to your defense. If we sin, he'll intercede for us. He'll pay the debt Because he's our eternal guarantor. You know, in the prayer and hearing from God class that we're we're doing uh, in the afternoon, we're speaking of intercession this week. So this really worked out good for me, right? Covering the same things in both classes. Intercession means to come between, to stand between two parties and plead one party's case. Isaiah tells us of the Messiah's intercession in chapter, the end of chapter 53. He says this in verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, the writer of Hebrews told us that he lives to intercede for us forever. And Isaiah just tells us, that as he speaks of his life on earth and his death, he tells us that he made intercession for the transgressors past tense. That means while he was on this earth, he made intercession for the transgressors. And I want to look at that intercession, but first... Since the writer's point is to show Yeshua's superiority to the high priest of Levi, and they offered an offering and prayed for the atonement for the people on Yom Kippur, I want to look at the prayer of that high priest first, when he offered prayer for the people on Yom Kippur, because the Talmud records it. It says, I beseech you, O Lord, I've sinned, I've rebelled and transgressed against you. I and my household and the sons of Aaron, your holy people, I beseech you, O Lord, grant atonement for the sins and for the iniquities and transgressions which I have committed against 
against you. I and my household, the sons of Aaron, your holy people. As it is written in the Torah of your servant Moses, for on this day atonement shall be made for you to purify you from all your sins before the Lord you shall be purified. And so here's what I want you to understand, that it, this is what he does. He goes and he recites this over the animal before the animal is slain. He recites it as it is here for the, the house of Aaron. He again recites it for the Levites and, and in Israel as well. This is the intercession that was offered for Israel by the Le Levitical high priest. Now, Isaiah told us that Yeshua interceded for us. Let's look at his intercession. And we can get an idea of the depth of his love for us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 38 says, And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. You know, people often read this and think, oh, Yeshua's overwhelmed at the thought of his death. Not so. Isaiah just told us why he was overwhelmed. He's, he's about to die for our sins, and he's overwhelmed by our sins that are being placed upon him. His face is on the ground, and he's praying for us. He's in intercession for us. He's taking responsibility because he's our guarantor. Luke tells us this about the prayer. In chapter 22, verse 43, he says, An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is the result of his prayer for the transgressors. He is in such anguish that he's overwhelmed. His sweat is like drops of blood. We speak of how he suffered on the stake for us, but he, suffered, uh, uh, but he suffered before the stake as well. He was made like us in every way, tempted like us in every way, so that he could pray for us in this way. This is because he has a love for us that the high priest of the house of Aaron could never have. This is the depth of his love for us. Is it any wonder why Paul would say this in Romans chapter 8? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen, whom God justifies? Who is he that condemns Yeshua the Messiah who died? More than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall trouble, shall hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? One of the greatest weapons the adversary uses against us is our own stinking consciences. Right? He loves to tell us that our sin has permanently separated us from God. If he can just do that, he can keep us from doing anything for God. He can keep us from praying. He can keep us from any type of ministry. But Paul says, who can separate us from the love of Messiah? We just saw the result of that love as he prayed. And he did that. So the writer tells us in chapter 9, he says this. In verse 14, he says, How much more then will the blood of Messiah through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience 
from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God. He cleansed us so that we can go to heaven, right? Well, not so much because I can tell you now we're going to be here on earth. But the writer of Hebrew tells us that he cleansed us so that we might serve the living God in this life. So that we may not be burdened down by guilt. That we might realize the depth of his love for us. And that in him, as Paul says, there is no condemnation. So we can get out of our pity party and get busy for God. Amen? Amen. The point being, we have an advocate that gave his life to be an eternal intercessor for us. And there's nothing that can separate us from that eternal love that he has for us. Oh, the love and the mercy extended to us. Who can even fathom? Does that mean that we could or should go on sinning because now we know of his great love for us? Well, not according to Paul. Romans 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, he says, Everyone who sins breaks the law, violates the Torah, in other words. In fact, sin is Torahlessness. But you know that he appeared that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, and no one who continues to sin has either seen or known him. So here's the point. We should avoid sin like the plague because it destroys our witness. But if we do make a mistake, we have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week advocate who's pleading our case. And he can plead our case because, as the writer has already pointed out, he was made like us, tempted in every way, and he has now become our guarantor. And not just that, but we're told that he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You see, what does that mean? It means what he did was a complete work. He's sitting because there's nothing left for him to do. He's at the right hand because what he did was so powerful, so complete, that he now holds a place of power and honor at the right hand of God. And so again, who can separate us from the love of Messiah? Next, the writer says in verse 27, he says, Unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. And it says day after day, but what's meant is Yom Kippur after Yom Kippur. Because that's the day that the high priest offered sacrifices for his own sins and the sins of the people. That wasn't the case on a daily basis. It was on this one day that the high priest of the house of Aaron offered up intercession for the people and, and it's recorded for us. We just read it. And we also read of Yeshua's inter, intercession. It was recorded for us as well. So you tell me, which high priest would you like praying for you? The one who recites the words or the one who cares about you to the degree that he sweat drops of blood for you? Now, is Yeshua's ministry superior? You tell me. Again, who do you want praying for you? Yeshua, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, who wept and sweat drops of blood, or the high priest of the house of Aaron? 
No-brainer, right? Again, verse 27 says, Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed a son who is consecrated forever. How long is that? A long time. Says he doesn't need to offer sacrifices Yom Kippur after Yom Kippur. But his sacrifice was once and for all. And if we combine that with the thought of verse 22 where it says, Because of this oath, Yeshua has become the guarantor of a better covenant. We have a guarantee that our sins are covered. That if we sin, all we need to do is get up, repent, turn from that sin, get up and brush ourselves off and move forward with the master. Again, something that the priesthood of Levi could never do because sacrifices and washings were required for every transgression. However, as long as we hold on to Yeshua, Yeshua will hold on to us. He will not let us out of his hand. He can't let you out of his hand, nor can his intercession for you ever fail, because as the text says, the Father appointed the Son who's consecrated forever. Now remember, the writer is comparing Yeshua to a high priest in the line and the ancestry of Aaron. Because the house of Aaron is what, is what the Torah commands. And so what he is comparing Yeshua to is the best that could be hoped for. However, the high priest in office at this time can't even trace his ancestry back to Aaron. His high priesthood doesn't last through his lifetime. It lasts as long as the Roman government says it lasts. The high priest of the second temple had a title of high priest, but he didn't have the prescribed lineage. Nor did he serve until his death, but it was actually given to him, not in accordance with God's word, but in accordance with the Roman government. Let me read a portion from the Encyclopedia Judaica. With the Roman conquest of Judea and sub subsequent Herodian rule, the office of high priest became a political tool in the hands of the administration until the destruction of the temple was never returned to its earlier prominence. By the end of the second temple period, which is the period we're talking about, the high priest was considered no more than a religious functionary of the Roman administration. And thus, even the garments of the high priest were... In trusted at times to the hands of the local Roman procurator and handed over to the priest just prior to various festivals. What was once a lifelong position and given according to ancestry became one that could be given or taken away by the Roman government with no ancestry considered. It goes on to say this, the high priests were appointed and removed with great frequency. This may account for the otherwise strange use of the title in the plural in the New Testament and Josephus. The deposed high priest seemed to have retained the title and to have continued to exercise certain function. The ministration of the Day of Atonement, however, may have been reserved for the actual incumbent. So here's what we have. 
We have, at the time the writer of Hebrews is writing his letter to those believers living in Israel, we have a high priest who isn't a high priest at all. He's a puppet of the Roman government. A high priest that goes into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement without fear. Aaron. When Aaron went inside... I can imagine he trembled with fear and with awe because just a few steps behind this curtain was the Shekinah of God, the dwelling presence of God. And he was about to come face to face with a God so holy that his sons died for offering strange fire. He went before the Lord, they went before the Lord improperly and were struck down. And so Aaron would indeed be fearful and careful. You know, the writer could have brought these points out. But he did not disparage the high priest in office at that time. He just speaks of the best case scenario. And why does he do that? Because even the best case scenario didn't measure up. They now have a high priest who goes in without fear. Think of Caiaphas after seeing to it that Yeshua was executed. Going into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur with no fear. If all that weren't enough, these Hebrews he's writing to are even losing touch with that, with the Day of Atonement altogether, as the priests are denying the followers of the way access to the temple at all. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 8, verse 1. He says, the point of what we are saying is this. We do have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in a sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord and not man. You see, the summation is this. The writer is saying to these folks who have been ostracized by the leaders in Israel, to include the high priest who's just a puppet of Rome. They've been denied access to the temple, to the Day of Atonement, for that matter, the other festivals, but he's concentrating on the, on the Day of Atonement. And he's saying, you may be being kept from the temple in its service, but hold on. And do not be concerned because we have a great high priest who serves in a tabernacle or a temple not made by human hands, but he serves in the true tabernacle of God, made by God himself. And it is the one that the temple on earth is patterned after. It's just a shadow of. And Yeshua is, the eternal, is in the eternal temple of God and his priesthood is what's what, what the tabernacle on earth was just a shadow of. The offering on Yom Kippur is but a sketch of the offering that this high priest offered. The offering of Yom Kippur had to be offered once a year, but the offering of this high priest, that this high priest offers, is atonement. And it's, a, it's, secured, on, with, it's secured on a basis of eternity. It has eternal consequences and needs to be offered just once. Yes, the Day of Atonement is important to you. It's in the Torah. But the atonement which Yeshua, the Son of God, secured and is guarantor of is so much superior. How timely for these, for these Hebrews. Because I'm going to say, in just a few short years, the entire nation of Israel will lose access to the temple. 
as it will be torn down with not one stone remaining upon another. The nation of Israel will lament for the temple. Even the rabbis lament. You can read it in the, in the Talmud. They, they lament over what was lost. Over the atonement that was lost. How shall we atone for our sins with no temple, with no offerings, with no blood? But the followers of Yeshua will realize that what was lost was just a sketch of the eternal temple. And that the day of atonement that secured atonement for the nation, too, was a shadow, just a sketch of the atonement that is secured by Yeshua. And while the rest of the nation is unsure of the future, and even the rabbis weep in the res- over the loss of the temple and the, and the sacrifices, these recipients will be secure in their complete salvation. And because of that, in this amazing letter, we can understand the same thing. We have a guarantor who will not fail. 